Hello, everyone, and welcome to the B2B Marketing Podcast. My name is Dave Rowlands. I'm the editor at B2B Marketing, and I'm joined today by David McGuire, who is creative director at Radix Communications and all-round copywriting guru. So, David, thank you very much for joining me today. I know that a lot of our audience will know you already, but for anyone who hasn't had the pleasure, who are you and what does Radix Communications do? That's a, a small question. Thanks for having <laughs> me, Dave. Um, Radix is a... Uh, B2B technology copywriting agency. So we don't do the design. We don't do the, the SEO, the strategy too much. Um, we, we stick to what we're good at, which is just writing really, really good content about B2B tech. Um, and so we work with um, marketers specifically in the industry, both um, brand marketers from around the world and also agency marketers um, to help them you know, get their marketing content, ABM content, all of that stuff uh, together. What I do is I lead the writing team. So um, I'm, you know, in times when you're allowed to be in the office, I'm, I'm surrounded by writers all day. Okay. So then in that case, it's no surprise that we're obviously here today to talk about actually creating great copy and, and great writing and all that good stuff. Um, so for you, you know, what do you think, what, you know, what does great copy look like when it comes to B2B? Are there any core pillars that you think just applies to all, all great copy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's something that we've had to think a fair bit about because um, obviously, you know, we have our own quality assurance and, and we want to kind of review each other's work as writers in a way that's consistent. And basically... We came up with like five, a hierarchy of five competencies that kind of stack a bit like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, which for want of, although we didn't come up with a good acronym for them, um, but we call it the accuracy, clarity, authority, empathy, and wizardry. So basically, you know, your work's got to be, it's got to be accurate. It can't be full of, um, it can't be full of factual errors. It can't be full of grammar mistakes and spelling mistakes or no one's going to take it seriously. But that's on its own is not going to get you very far. You know, that's, <laughs> that's entry level. Um, so you stack things on top of that. So clarity, you know, particularly in B2B tech where we work, a lot of complicated um, subjects and it's making it really clear and easy for the, uh, the audience to understand and to read. Uh, authority is a thing that's particularly uh, in B2B more than, than B2C, but your content, you really need to sound like you know what you're on about, right? So you need to use the language of the industry. You need to use the right technical specifics so that people trust you as an expert, you know, particularly in content marketing. Um, empathy on top of that is just understanding who your audience is and what the hell they care about. Um, so that you're talking to a, a real person, uh, not just a, a, a segment of the market or something. And then, um, and then wizardry is just making it memorable, making it stand out. Um, and also, you know, making people feel like they want to do the thing that you want them to do, you know, to, to buy the thing or to down, download the ebook or, or, or whatever it is. Because um, obviously, you know, that's marketing. That's why we're all here, right? So it's those five, those five things and they kind of stack in a, in a nice pyramid. Okay, so I, I know like when we talk about great copy, a lot of the time it's, it's in the context of things like, 
you know, memorable uh, taglines for a company or uh, more often than not, it's in, you know, email copy, making people actually want to follow through and, and click a link or something along those lines. But, you know, one thing in B2B that's obviously really important is, is long form content. And, you know, a lot of times it's going to be, be, be quite technical, you know, things like white papers, reports, case studies, things like that. Um, but, you know, with that in mind, you know, how can marketers take something that's so kind of serious and, and in-depth and, and frankly long mm-hmm. and actually turn it into something that's really interesting and, and actually memorable? Sure. I mean, and I think the thing is, you know, because it, it's, it's serious and, it, and it's long and you have all this word count to play with, the most important thing to remember is somebody still has to read it. They still have to care about it, you know. And so sometimes, you know, we get clients, you know, we'll interview a subject matter expert and they'll want to go off on some great flight of fancy, you know, for a couple of thousand words about something that nobody really cares about. Um, And so I, I think the important thing to remember is if your piece of long content, somebody's reading it and they're reading it for a reason, usually because they hope that it will help them to do their job or to find out about an issue that they need to know about. So you can talk to them directly and you can make that process as easy as possible for them. You know, you can make the the content um, easy to read. If you want, you can use a, uh, you know, a readability algorithm or something because aside from anything else, everybody in B2B is busy and um, clear content is measurably faster to read. You know, it's not going to make that much difference over a short blog post or an email, but if someone's digging into a white paper, you know, if you write clearly, you are saving your audience minutes, tens of minutes in some cases. Um, and they're going to, you know, that's going to be popular, right? They're going to they're gonna like that. Um, and then from there, it, it's kind of, I always think it's a, a matter of breaking your big content up into digestible chunks and making sure that each chunk is self-contained, tells a thing, makes its point, you know, makes sense, and that it has a heading that's meaningful and that you use breakout, you know, bullet points and, and box outs and things so that people, when they can flick down the page, they can get the information really easy, maybe sometimes without reading every word. So it's, it's that kind of thing. And while it's great to be memorable, what you don't want to do is to be too clever. You don't want to sacrifice clarity in order to try and be memorable or be funny. Like If you can do those things along the way, then great. But the most important thing is to make it really easy for the person reading to understand what they're reading, why it's important and what they need to do next. Yeah. And I think particularly on that point about, you know, headings and breaking it up and making it kind of into digestible chunks. It's quite, it's quite interesting. Sometimes you'll see a heading and it will just say something like the challenges, the drivers. And I think sometimes it's important to actually give a hint, you know, what's actually included there, like such and such is a challenge. It makes people want to read a bit more, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And also if they don't read anymore, you know, bearing in mind, you know, you, you have to appreciate people will just lightly skim your copy most of the time. What do they get from it if they don't read every word? If that, you know, particularly web copy or something like that, long web page, you know, people have this F-shaped reading pattern where they'll scroll down and their eyes will flick across the headings. And so if they do that, if they only read the headings, what information do they get? Exactly right. In your case, if it says the challenges, 
The only thing they've got from it is that there are challenges. It doesn't actually say what the challenges are or what the challenges mean or what you're going to do about them or any of that stuff. You know, if you kind of squint at the page a bit so that you can only read the headings, you know, the bits in bold on your page should tell the story by themselves. And then everything else is, you know, is the detail, is the supporting information. Absolutely. So if anyone's thinking about using conclusion as their final heading, that's a big no-no, I think. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is for me. I think, you know, there are, you know, uh, and even now you get clients who say, you know, it's not a case study, you know, unless, the, unless the, it is, you know, challenge, solution, results. And those are the only headings that they will allow. Can we say what the challenge was? Or can we not just put the challenge, colon? And then say what the challenge was. That's often the, the compromise. But yeah, I mean, if you if your heading says conclusion, then you've missed a really huge opportunity to make your point because that you know you could say what your conclusion is, and then the bit that you've written as your conclusion then becomes supporting information. It becomes evidence to back up that argument. Yeah, it's a bit like releasing a book and calling it the title. It doesn't really tell you anything, does it? Absolutely. <laughs> um, Title goes here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, okay. So the copy itself is obviously crucial, and that's some, you know that's the main reason we're we're here today. Um, but you know, how important would you say things like imagery and design are in actually bringing these words to life? And and what advice would you have for our listeners in in terms of optimizing this? Um, I mean. I definitely, I would say, I'm I'm not a designer. I'm 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 not an, an expert in that at all. You know, we keep our keep the sides fairly clean at, at, at Radix. We just, you know, we do we're the writing guys. But um, one of the things that we tend to do when we're writing is we try to give the designer lots of opportunities to, um, again, make the headings clear, make the headings visible. Lots of bullet points. Lots of of box out um, features and, and things like that, because people's eyes, the sad truth is they, you know, their eyes will go everywhere except your main body copy. You know, they are more likely to read the caption under an image than they are to read your carefully crafted body copy. So, you know, I think the main thing is to, you know, in the design is to make it really scannable, you know, particularly with, um, with long content and that that kind of thing, in terms of making it look cool and making it look on brand and um, and that kind of stuff, I'm not so much of an expert, but I, but I think that the um, you know the important thing is to you know enable people who are giving it that you know you give it that five second test. If people are just fl- if you're just flicking over the page for five seconds, what do you get from it? That that impression is everything. Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you. Um, so I am obviously, uh, not to uh, blow my own trumpet, but I am a, a content professional as an editor. <laughs> um, but I actually attended your own copywriting course last year uh, through B2B Marketing um, to, you know, uh, hopefully improve my own copywriting. And I turned up thinking, I know everything. What's Dave McGuire? He's What's he going to tell me? I'm the expert, blah, blah, blah. But obviously, I came away and learned, oh, actually... I had quite a bit to learn. So, you slept through the whole thing, Dave, as I recall. <laughs> yeah, I had, had, my, uh, had my screen blacked out. But, um, but, but, you know, how important is it for content professionals in particular, or content marketers, to continue their training and not get stuck in their ways? Because I think 
you know, on that note, has copywriting changed a lot over the last 10 years or perhaps over the, the pandemic specifically? Um, yeah, I, I, I was thinking about this and I, I, I'm not sure how much the basic principles of, of copyright, of good copy change very much. But it's very, very easy to get into a creative rut. It's very, very easy just to keep writing the same, you know, particularly if you're working on, you know, same sorts of technologies, same sort of industries, same sort of clients or whatever. Um, it's very, very easy just to kind of start churning out the same old and the stuff gets less, less and less effective. So, you know, there's always something to learn. And, you know, the thing that, that I love about the training is that, um, you know, sometimes people will come and they'll point something out to me and I, I'll keep learning. I mean, you know, one of the things, one of the things that I do um, for, my, uh, for my sins is uh, I'm the host of the National B2B Copywriting Conference. Sorry, just the National Copywriting Conference, not even B2B. Uh, <laughs> um, and so you get B2B and B2C copywriters of all sorts, you know, freelancers in in-house and agency, um, you know, and proofreaders and everything else. Um, and they're all, you know, there in a room, you know, exchanging tips. And you can always learn something. There's always something new where you just go, oh, I've never thought of trying it that way. I'll give it a go. You know, and it, it might be just a different structure, a different creative approach that can get you past a block or it can make your um, copy, you know, fresher. Um, or even a lot of the time, it's about reminding yourself to actually do the things that you should do. Like the really simple things like deleting the word that or... Um, uh, or <laughs> sorry, I'll try not to notice the person crawling behind you on yeah. the screen. <laughs> sorry, that was quite distracting. Um, simple things like, um, like, you know, deleting the word, like reading your copy out loud. Like everyone knows that you should read your copy out loud. It makes it easy to spot mistakes. It makes it easy to understand where you're being easy to read and where you're being hard to read. But nobody actually does it, you know? <laughs> and to remind yourself that actually, if you do these things that you kind of learned back in the day, um, it's going to make it a, a, a lot better, um, and so it's to kind of get the get the inspiration, keep the keep the fire going. It could be a bit of a, a treadmill, otherwise. But yeah, the best thing about working with other writers is, you know, the, the new writers here, our brand new juniors, will will teach me stuff all the time. It's great. Yeah, and for anyone listening who's wondering what on earth David was talking about, um, <laughs> one of my colleagues has decided not to interrupt our our lovely our lovely podcast recording <laughs> and crawled in the background, oblivious to the fact that the video itself isn't actually recorded. So um, we'll leave that in there just to to embarrass him. I think it's great. It's it's, it's kind of nice after sort of eighteen months of everyone being working from home and like cats and children and things <laughs> in, in in the back, just completely oblivious and not caring. So, <laughs> seeing the back of a colleague cr kind of crawl past was 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 delightful it, it, yeah. that's, that's made my day dave thank you me too um but let's let's try not let's stick to the topic oh. and um so let's talk a little bit about case studies because i think i think probably there's, there's a balance to be struck here because you know on the one hand marketers want to include as many facts and figures and and other indications of success as, as humanly possible you know we delivered this roi delivered this many leads so on 
But, you know, on the other hand, they don't necessarily want to overwhelm and arguably even worse, you know, bore their reader. So, you know, how can marketers strike that balance between informative and, and concise? Sure. I mean, I think case studies, the thing about case studies, a case study is a story. It's a story of a person, sometimes a company, but it's better if it's a person who had a challenge. They found an answer to that challenge and they, you know, they won. They saved the day. You know, it's your classic beginning, middle end, your classic hero's, hero's journey. Um, and the thing is that, you know, what helps, the thing to bear in mind is what helps you to get across why this challenge was important, you know, um, why the solution was the best solution and why the results have made such a difference to that business. So I think, you know, facts and figures are great. Um you know, but what you might want to do so that things don't get too too long and too expansive is, you know, you kind of put you can put them out in a little at a glance box so that people can get the facts and figures that, that that they need. But the most important thing is that the customer is always the hero in a case study. It's not how you know we got this ROI for them. It's they achieved this ROI. And we helped, you know, the, the customer is always Luke Skywalker, you know, or, or, you know, or Frodo or, you know, Harry Potter or whoever you want. But, you know, but the, the, the customer is Luke Skywalker. The brand is never blowing up the Death Star. You know, the, the brand could be, like, there's lots of room for you, right? The brand can be Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, teaching, teaching um, the customer how to use the force so that they can blow up the Death Star. You know, the brand could provide the X-Wing that was used to blow up the Death Star. Well, the brand could be R2-D2 in the back, you know, fiddling to get the extra power out of the uh, engines at just the right moment after you've been, you know, the, 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 uh, the lasers glanced off one of the engines or something so that they can complete the job, you know. And there are lots of really heroic ways to be a sidekick, but the brand is always the sidekick, you know. And, and I think the thing is to make it a story. And ultimately, when you're balancing in anything what's too detailed and what's concise, it's to bear in mind that you're not broadcasting this stuff to nobody. It's not just going into the ether. It's going to be read by real people who are, you know, ideally, you know, they look like, you know, if your case studies are before and after picture, your ideal reader looks like the before picture, you know, and, and they're going to, that you want them to look at the hero and go, oh, they did that. I want to do that. And what will help them feel that way? What's enough information for them and enough evidence for them, but not too much? You know, what would a real person think about this, you know, for any copy? Yeah. Okay. Well, well thank you very much. I think that that kind of sums it up, really. You're not trying to just show off about your own brand. You're trying to, you're trying to spin it in a way that you're putting the, the successful customer sort of at the heart of it. Um, and, sorry. And, yeah. I was so. going to say, yeah, no, that helps. I mean, that helps your customer relationship too. The yeah. point is not, you know, you make the customer look clever. You make them look jolly clever for working with you, you know, and then that helps your relationship with them because they are the hero of your story. Um, you know, and then maybe they'll do more business with you in future because, you know, and then maybe they'll more like more likely to share it because you've made them look really good. So it works on a, on every level that the, yeah, let the customer own, own the achievement. Let the customer own the achievement. Got it. So one thing we, you know, we talk about quite a lot, um, 
in B2B or, well, maybe not a lot, but it's certainly something I've seen, is kind of the importance of humour and, and informality um, in writing. I guess going back to that hierarchy you mentioned earlier, that would be somewhere between empathy and, and wizardry would be my guess. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in B2B, this has arguably been a little bit late to the game, but it's certainly there or thereabouts now. However, you know, I can see this would work well for a blog because, you know, a blog is, by its nature, it's a bit more casual, it's a bit more informal. Um, but is it just as important in more serious, long-form technical content, like, you know, the white papers and case studies, or, are, you know, should it just be avoided altogether? That's a tricky question because I think some of it depends upon your brand. Like, mm. you know, if you're in, in a heavily regulated industry doing something difficult, you don't necessarily... You know, your brand values aren't necessarily that you're a laugh a minute. Um, you know, but I think that the important thing is informality and humor is, you know, two different things. But, I, you know, I think that it's certainly right to say that just because you're writing something serious, just because you're, you know, you're, or you're writing something long, doesn't mean your language has to put a tie on. You know, just because like you're writing for a work context, you're still writing from you, one person to the reader, one person at that moment, that's a connection between you and them. And you have to tell them fairly directly what they, what they need to know. So that's what, that's one thing. And I think that's the most important thing, you know, write as you would speak, write as you would speak on a really good day when you're feeling particularly clear. But, but right as you would speak, I think that's as far as I'd probably go towards the, the informal. For the humor and stuff and, and the informality, it's great. But I would say don't, two things, don't force it. Like, you know, like, you know, we've all had emails from our banks going, hey, we're here for you. And, all, you know, and you just kind of go, you're my bank. This is inappropriate. I don't like it. Um, you know, don't try to, you know, because there's nothing worse than someone that tries too hard to be funny, right? Um, so, you know, you, you know, you work with James, um, <laughs> I thought I was going to be a dig at myself, but I'm happy. With <laughs> you know, but there's not, there's nothing worse than, so, than someone that, that tries too hard to be funny. He, he doesn't listen to this, does he? Um, <laughs> I, 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 I won't send it his way. Put it yeah, out there. Um, so, um, you know, so don't, don't force it, you know, just, just be natural. You know, if, if your content is full of lots of exclamation marks and things, you know, it's like you're tra- it's like a bit, you know, it reminds me of Timmy Mallet. You know, it's like, oh, sorry, that's a that's a Gen X reference that nobody, <laughs> nobody under the age of about 45 will get, you know, but he's used to be this guy who's on TV. He's like, hey, kids, hey, aren't I wacky? You know, yeah. so don't, don't force it. The other, the other thing is that don't lose... Um, clarity never sacrifice in anything never sacrifice clarity for the sake of a pun you know awesome awesome humor if there are two ways to say things one of them delivers your message and the other one is a pun that doesn't quite deliver your message you've got to kill the pun like if you could deliver your message clearly and include a pun then brilliant go obviously puns not the only kind of humor but you know brilliant go for it you know but don't sacrifice you know don't get in the reader's way by trying to be too clever clever yeah so don't sacrifice clarity and also take into account what kind of organization you are you know what kind of brand you are like you say if you're a bank maybe you shouldn't be 
cracking jokes in your email comms when you know someone's trying to take out a mortgage <laughs> yeah yeah but that, that, that's the thing that's an important thing also the context of the communication that, that, that you're doing so so there are brands that have a really good voice and tone guys why why it's voice and tone and not tone of voice in that you have one voice just as i'm talking to you i'm not suddenly going to become scottish or something you know i'm always me but talking to you in this context my tone might be slightly different than you know if we're down the pub one day when i'm allowed to come back to london and that kind of thing um you know and th and that's the thing so a brand that would be cracking jokes in a success message kind of go hey high five you know is not going to be doing the same thing in an error message is not going to be doing the same thing in legal terminology because you have to think how your audience is feeling and be appropriate to that you know, because what you don't want is an error message that goes, whoops, because you're probably frustrated and annoyed at that moment. So it's just having a bit of empathy about your reader and how they're feeling at that moment as to whether they will be receptive to humor. Okay, got it. And I want to move on to um, ABM now while we, you know, we've still got time. Because um, ABM is obviously, I'm sure anyone who's visited the B2B marketing website will know, it's all about taking great customer insight. Um, and then turning it into, you know, really great personalized, tailored communications to really help target those those high value accounts. And obviously tweaking copy is just one part of personalization in ABM. Um, but, you know, it still plays an important role. But, you know, is adjusting long form content for individual ABM accounts viable? So, you know, adjusting something like a, like a white paper for mm -hmm. a high value account. And if it is viable, how can marketers do it? Sure. So I... What it comes down to, I think, and how viable it is, um, comes down to the le the kind of ABM that you're doing, right? Because, you you know, again, you kind of have this, everything's a pyramid, right? But you kind of have these pyramids where you have, you know, your real strategic accounts, your real one-to-one -one ABM at the top. Then you have your one-to-few kind of accounts where, you know, you have like clusters of accounts. And then you have, you know, your your one-to-many, which is, you know, is arguable, you know, it's automated, it's arguable how much that is ABM at that stage. So if you're talking about a really strategic account, really strategic high value stuff, not just tweaking the copy, it is, you know, in many cases, um, completely viable to write an entire document from scratch for an audience of one account, maybe even an audience of one person. Like there was a, um, a, a tech company um, a few years ago asked me to write basically a short book for one account from scratch because they knew that organization's IT infrastructure was coming up for tender, you know, and they wanted to be on the shortlist. So that was totally worth them doing because it was a high, high value thing. What we find ourselves doing is the thing that we do a lot of at Radix is working in that clusters, you know, that one to that one to few um, section, because that is something where you can take a hero asset and tailor it to the uh, to the audience. Um, so it might be, you know, the first page, the first couple of pages are completely bespoke and maybe some of the conclusions and one or two of the pages in between. But then there are sections and chapters about the challenges, you know, how we approach the challenges in your sector. 
you know, or you know, what are the, the, the big trends that we see coming up? And those are going to be this, you know, if it's all if you're all writing about the automotive sector, the trends in the automotive sector are are the same. So, you know, we do a lot of work where we end up customizing kind of twenty, thirty percent of a of a hero asset. But I think that ultimately. The thing about ABM is that the message that you send has to be really, really relevant to the needs and the concerns of that account. So you've got to do that one way or another, whether it's by changing the copy or whether it's by having a hero asset that is standard, and then you do some really smart curation where you actually you have a whole ream of hero assets and you're picking them and you're custom picking a combination of assets off a shelf and that you're customizing it that way. But it's really important that, you know, you can't just put a name and a logo on it. What you say, the message that you express has to be really um, specific and bespoke to to that person reading. Absolutely. And um, just a very quick note to our audience um, to note that our ABM conference is quickly on the horizon. It's taking place in person and virtually on the uh, 2nd to the 4th of November in London. So if you want to learn more about ABM or maybe you just want to get back to a physical event or actually actually see what a hybrid event even is, because I know a lot of people haven't been to them yet, myself included, um, please do follow the link uh, in the description and you can book your place today. So Yeah, I mean, you're not you're not paying me for saying so, but, but, the, but the ABM conference is genuinely one of the best events that I've ever been to. You know, it's yeah. one, you know I've, I've been to versions of that in some years where... You know, the, the, you, you, it's been worth the price of admission from the first two talks, and everything else is a bonus. I mean, it's you know the, the quality of people that, that you get for that are so high. Anyway, you, you're not paying. <laughs> I should I should I should be on commission. Um, but no, it's it's a really uh, you know genuinely it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a thing I wouldn't miss. Well, thank you very much, and I'm sure we can uh, we can slip you a brown envelope under the table. <laughs> Let's words. Um, so uh, last year, you know, in the the darkest sort of depths of the pandemic, if you like, um, you might remember we worked on a little piece of content which was called Buzzword Bingo. Um, so for anyone who, who's listening, who's wondering, you know, what what's this all about? It was quite literally a bingo card. Um, with all of our least favorite phrases we were hearing during the pandemic. So, you know, <laughs> we're here for you now more than ever, the new normal, all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously we're now, we're now in a new phase of the pandemic and we're starting to exit it. And I just want to know what is the most annoying, irritating phrase you're hearing over and over and over again. This is your opportunity to just make these people stop. If the pandemic has taught us anything, it's oh, that. No. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, dear. I'm trying to think if I'm guilty of that, you know. Um, I, I think we, I think, you know, any of us that have been writing this all have, you know, and, and in fairness, I think now more than ever is still around. Um, but yeah, you know, if the pandemic has taught us anything, it's that, it's that you need to build in, you know, agility, whether it's that you need to build in agility into your business model or that, you know, people are, are resilient and work continues or that, you know, your people were always the heart of your business or, or, whatever but you know people talking about the lessons but the the other thing that's almost gone the other way that's with i'm seeing a lot now is i get a lot of briefs that say don't mention the pandemic don't mention the pandemic don't mention covid and i'm kind of thinking you're writing for someone in a work context and in some in most cases what work looks like has changed pretty fundamentally within the last few months 
and you're not even going to acknowledge that reality. I know they don't want to feel, they want their content to be evergreen. They don't want it to feel like it's a current thing. So you don't want to say right now in the pandemic. Mm. But I think if you don't at least acknowledge that it's happened, you've left a pretty large elephant in the room. So funnily enough, my other one at the moment is, you know, not even acknowledging the pandemic because that's just, that's wild. Yeah. I, you know, I can't remember, I cannot for the life of me remember who was saying it. I saw it very recently. Um, so if you're listening and you think I'm trying to steal credit from you, by all means, call <laughs> me out. I'll, I'll happily um, talk to you. But someone was saying that COVID's gone from the content to the context. And I think it's important to, to keep the, you know, the context of, you know, the reality, the pandemic is still going on. Um, but yeah, I guess maybe people don't want to hear about the, the changes from work, work from home anymore. No, I, 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 although I think that there are still things, you know, now, because now we look, there's a whole new thing, you know, we don't want to talk about new normals, but, you know, every, all this hybrid working and everything, it's all, there's still a lot of stuff for people to get their heads around, even now. There's still a lot of change happening. And B2B content still has a job to do in, in helping them with that. But the content to the context, I, I like that, and I'm going to steal it from you, now that you've stolen it from someone else. I like that. That's great. I'm, I'm, I'm nicking that. Yeah, I think we all are at this stage. Um, okay. Well, David, thank you very much. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Um, just very quickly, for any of our listeners who, um, you know, who would like to actually check out your copywriting training course through mm-hmm. B2B Marketing, what can, they, what can they expect to learn by attending, would you say? Sure. I mean, I think that the main thing is that for most of us, Writing is a kind of a thing that we learned at school and that, you know, we got, but since we were at school, maybe at university, we, no one ever really took the time to train us how to write. And so for that reason, um, writing in a work context can feel very high pressure. It can feel very much like you're bearing a bit of your soul, you know, because it's a thing that you kind of learned to do at school and you're either good at or you're not good at, you know. And so what we try to do is to give um, objective structures to help you approach the content that you're creating as a, um, as a in the way that you'd approach any other job at work so that you have an objective view of does this work or not rather than do I like it, am I a good person? You know, and what we do is you know, we will apply that across a, a range of, of, of common B2B content formats, so things like case studies, press releases, blogs, web copy, video scripts, stuff like that. Um, But the idea is to kind of give you a bunch of tools so that you've got something in between just having a flashing cursor and and a subject that you need to get stuff out onto the page where you've actually got structures, you've got approaches, um, and you have ways to evaluate what you've written and ways to evaluate what other people have, have written. And it's all stuff, as I say, I, I work with a, a team of a dozen writers, and it's all stuff that we use every day. So it's stuff that's actually practically helpful. Yeah. Hopefully, you go back from the next day, there are things you can use in your writing from the very next day. Yeah. So whether you're a good writer or you're, or you think you're a terrible writer, you'll certainly get something from that. Some, some structures that you can put in place, basically. Sure. I mean, I, I mean, as I say, I, I learned something on a, on, on a lot of the courses because, you know, you meet a whole bunch of people from different contexts with different ideas and ways of doing things. Um, you know, it's not just about me talking at people, although obviously that's the best bit. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, of, of course. Yeah. Um, well, David, thank you very much. Um, just for any of our audience listening who actually want to go to the copywriting training course, um, just a note, so it's going to be taking place on the 22nd to 23rd of September. And then again, on the 24th to 25th of November, it's about three hours per day. So don't worry, you still have plenty of time to, to do your day job um, in between. So it's not going to, it's not going to suck up all your time. Um, David, thank you very much. Thank and, you. Um, speak again soon. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Take care, Dave. Thank you. Bye.